Hey, look, it's summer. Summer is a season in which we are moving. Um, just alone in my house, we're getting ready to go on vacation and we're up and about. But a lot of you, some of you, are getting ready to move and transition. And in the midst of a movement, uh, you are asking important questions in life. Um, I know Chris Irby here is about to go to Arkansas Tech. He's going to move to Russellville. And there's a whole lot of questions that he has to ask himself when he moves into this new town. Um, we've had people graduate from um, graduate school, and they've left, and they've moved to Atlanta and um, Fayetteville and other places, and they're asking themselves right now questions about where should I live? Who should I be involved with? What are the best restaurants in town? Great questions. But when we're deciding where do we live and work and play, one of the things that is sorely neglected in the midst of this is what are the churches in that area? I read, a, I read a book this week called a, a Church Called Tove, and in the book they wrote the following phrase, choosing a church is choosing a culture, and the culture we choose will form us into the people we become. We would be wise to make our selection based on the culture of the church community. Amongst all the dis questions that we ask when we move and as we work, church should be one of the most important questions that we ask, because who your church is is gonna be the very thing that forms you. I think what this leads me to ask is to you, whether you're looking for a church home or this is your church home, it's still a good question. Who's caring for your soul? You have one soul, one life, and who's caring for it is vitally, vitally important. But sadly, most of us, we don't ask the who when we're looking at churches. We're usually asking the what. What is the preaching like? Is it entertaining? Is it funny? What is the music like? Is it good? Does it make me cry? Does it have a good feel to it? What is the building like? Is it friendly? Is it weird? Is it aesthetically pleasing? What are the programs for the kids? What, are, what, are the, what, what is it like? What, what, what? And yet we sorely neglect the who of those churches. Who? is caring for your soul. Not what is caring for your soul. The first thing we should always ask, wherever we are, and the things we should ask of our church, of our church, is who, not the what. Because it is the who that is more important than what. If you were to kind of summarize John 10, at least the first 21 verses that we just read today, I think this is the question that Jesus is pressing for us. I mean, ultimately, he's putting before us who's caring for your soul. And there's two different groups that Jesus presents to us. One he calls thieves. And you can see that clearly throughout the text. He puts before you, there are thieves. And then he presents himself as the good shepherd. As you think about it from a big picture perspective, this text is really pressing who's caring for your soul? Because who cares for your soul is so important for you. I frankly am so tired of seeing churches filled with people who are broken from church abuse. Whether it be sexual abuse, verbal abuse, spiritual abuse, emotional abuse, it's rampant. And this is because we aren't asking the who. So this morning I want us to consider the two people that Jesus puts before us. To consider who's caring for my soul. There really is only two. It's either thieves or the good shepherd. So let's look at this. 
Let's look at the two, um, the two people that are caring for our souls. The first is the thieves. So John 10, it's one of the verses that I've memorized as, as early as I can remember. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. So for the first 38 years of my life, whatever it might, I'm 38 years old. For the first 38 years of my life, I thought I knew who the thief was. Without a doubt, the thief is Satan himself. The Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I was this week old <laughs> when I discovered that that is actually not, not right. The thief is not Satan. The thief are the religious leaders around Jesus in that moment. The thief are religious leaders. Now, why do I say that? Why did I discover that the thief is not Satan? First off, I want you to see where John 10 falls in the line of scripture. John 10, of course, follows after John 9. But John 9, yeah, surprise. Wow, I know that's a wower right there. But John 9 is a story that, Jesus ha uh, that, that we, we see, and Jesus heals this blind man. And the religious leaders are so upset that Jesus healed the blind man on a Sabbath by making mud and putting it on his eyes. And John 9 ends with Jesus discussing with these religious leaders their problem. And he says to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. And in John chapter 10 begins right after Jesus says this. And what does John 10, 1 say? It simply says, Jesus' words. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. He's continuing his conversation with these religious leaders who are so frustrated with Jesus that he's working on the Sabbath. So he's clearly talking to these religious leaders. Now, how do we say that these are the religious leaders? Well, let's think about this. In that phrase, in that verse, he talked about the sheepfold. They enter the sheepfold by the door. If you know anything of the Old Testament, the sheepfold is in reference to the people of God. Psalm 23 David himself says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalm 95, 7, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. So throughout the Old Testament, you see that the people of God are referred to as the sheep of God. So here, Jesus is using the metaphor to describe the thieves and the robbers entering into the sheepfold of God. Now, who's near the sheepfold of God? It's the religious leaders. He's, Jesus is speaking to them, and he's speaking to them in a metaphor that is pertinent to them. But then he tells them exactly what they're doing, and he does this by a negative implication in verse 5. Look at verse 5. A stranger, Jesus says, the sheep will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the strangers. So from this, you can see that these, these thieves and robbers have entered into the sheepfold, and what are they trying to do? They're trying to speak to the sheep. They're trying to lead the sheep. Now, thankfully, the sheep who follow the good shepherd do not listen to them. But that doesn't mean that some sheep will not. The religious leaders have entered into the sheepfold of God. They are thieves. They are thieves and they're robbers. And they wear clothes that you and I would not think anything of. If anything, they have a clerical collar. And people call them father or priest. These are the thieves and robbers. Now, what do these thieves and robbers do? Well, simply put, they steal, they kill, 
and they destroy. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I, I am so fed up and so tired of seeing pastors falling into affairs, stealing a wife from a husband, cheating on their wives. It is almost a daily occurrence that there's some form of, of this happening. Thieves. I am so tired of hearing stories about pastors killing people. And you might think, they're not really killing people. Oh, contraire. This week, I heard of a pastor who had an affair, stole another man's wife, someone was going to out him, then he contacted a hitman to kill that person who was gonna out him, only to find out that the hitman was an FBI informant. <laughs> it's, it's true, I'm telling you this story. And of course, he went under trial and was convicted of hiring a hitman to kill their thieves, using the people of God for their own purposes. And of course, destroying, destroying. I don't wanna continue to reiterate, but how many people's faith have been destroyed in this past year by, by their finding out that Ravi Zacharias had lived an illicit life? How many people have, have lost the faith because they've discovered that Carl Lentz has been cheating on his wife for years and years and years? How many people have had their faith destroyed by finding out that Bill Hybels has been living this wicked life? They're thieves, and you would never know it. The thieves that come to steal, kill, and destroy are thieves that you would never think. They're people that come into churches and that lead churches, and it's crushing the church. These are the people that we can often entrust our souls. These are the people, and you should, you should be going, is my pastor a thief? Like, this is, this is a very real reality for me, for you looking at me and going, well, the question is, what about you, Dan? What about you? Are you a thief? Who's caring for your soul? Is it a thief? How would we ever know that the person caring for our soul is a thief? Well, I got three questions that I think that are really relevant to, to, to and there's probably a lot more, but three questions that you should be asking any church you ever go to whether it be here, and you should be asking these questions of me too, you really should, but of other churches that you ever go to, three questions. First, who is the pastor accountable to? That's the first question. Now, one of the things that I discovered in this the, the book, The Church Called Tove, is that the majority of um, abuse that has taken place, and it's not always the case, but a majority of the abuse that these pastors have, these thieves, come from non-denominational churches. And I, it's, it's, it happens in denominational churches, and there's a lot we can see from the Roman Catholic Church that is very hierarchical. But the question for all of us is, what is the government structure of that particular church, and does it hold the pastor accountable? Do you, as a person in the church, have some sort of power to keep the power of the pastor in check? Is the pastor accountable to others? If you start to kind of see in the church that, man, this seems really difficult to kind of discern who's in charge, and if, if the person says they're accountable to a, a group of people in their, just in their church, keep asking questions because you can really discern real quickly if all those people are yes people to this pastor. Do your homework. Search this out. 
ask questions of people who have left the church. People leave churches for all different reasons, but some people leave churches because the pastor gets on a power play and he's objectified and used the church and has crushed the people in the church as a result. So who is this person accountable to? Asking that question can really help you discern whether or not you're being led by a thief. So secondly, and this is very practical, who's this person on social media? Who's this person on social media? You should look, if you ever go to another church, you should look at a pastor's social media. The things that you will discern from that are really important. Is this person out for the likes? Is this person out so that you would look at them and say, man, this person has got a great life and a great ministry? Just do your discernment. I literally looked at a, a pastor who, who cheated, on his, cheated on his wife multiple times, stepped away from the ministry, and then recently started another church in my parents' community. And I went on his, I went on his uh, Twitter two weeks ago, and it was just the same stuff that he was doing before. And I was like, no one should ever entrust themselves to this man. Here he goes again. Look at the social media. If it's all about him, if it's all about their church, if it's all about how great he is or what he's doing or where he's preaching, be weary. So who is this uh, person accountable to? Who is this person on social media? And then lastly, how does the pastor see the church? And here's where I'm gonna get a little, uh, just I want you to think, and sometimes it requires us to think, but listen for the language. When the pastor's discussing the church, listen, listen for how he thinks of the church. Let me give you a good example. When the, the worship start sets, we start to sing together, how do they describe the worship? A huge trend that is currently taking place in all the United States is to call worship a worship experience. A worship experience. Now think about what this means. What, what is worship ultimately about? It is us considering who God is, what he's done, and giving him praise. But when we put the word experience onto it, who's it about? It becomes about the people in the church. It becomes about cons consuming it. Now, this is not to say that having good music is, is, is important. I think it is important because it's hard to, to worship to bad music. Trust me, we've experienced this in our church history but is the pastor talking about, wow, what an amazing worship experience that was? Is he talking about the church in, in like business objectives? And mind you, there's, there's business. Like he praises God for how big the church is getting. Praises or, or, or talks all the time and is discouraged or, or yells at the church when they're not inviting their friends. Just listen for the language. Is he objectifying the church? If he is, then he's using the church for his own glory his own sake, and he's stealing the glory that is rightfully God's. So, how does the pastor see the church? Simple, three questions that you should be asking me or any pastor or any church. Who are they accountable to? What's their social media like, particularly their pastor? And then lastly, how does the pastor communicate the things of the church? If you start to see it, you can really begin to discern, hey, this, past, this church is being led by a thief. And if that's the case, run, and you should run into the arms of the good shepherd. Let's turn our attention now to the good shepherd. 
the one that Jesus proposes, the one that we should indeed fall into. And there's three things we can learn about the good shepherd from Jesus' words. The good shepherd knows his sheep. The good shepherd leads his sheep. The good shepherd dies for his sheep. So three things that we can learn from the good shepherd. First, he knows his sheep. Of the seven I am statements in the book of John, and there's I am statements throughout, the good shepherd, I am the good shepherd, is the most personal. In fact, it's the only one that's personable. Here's some of the other I am statements. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the door. I am the bread of life. But again, the good shepherd is very, very personal. Verse three, Jesus says that the sheep hear his voice. It's similar to a baby hearing the voice of its mother and finding relief in that voice. That is what the people of God, when they hear the voice of the good shepherd, they find relief in that voice, a comfort, a life. But that's not all. In verse three, Jesus says he calls his sheep by their own name. This is a very deeply personal reality that the good shepherd knows you by your name. You must understand in the Eastern society that Jesus is speaking, a name is more than what we have today. Do you remember what Peter's name was before his name was Peter? It was Simon. But why did he become Peter? Because Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, you're gonna be called Peter now because you're the rock. And Peter meant rock. You're the rock from which this church will get really going. Names mean everything. And Jesus, the good shepherd, knows you by your name. It might be some characteristic that really defines who you are. You're the most compassionate person, and you might have some really cool Greek name that means compassion. <laughs> like, I don't know the Greek word, Blake. Yeah, we don't know it. But it could be a really cool name, Theosphony. You know, like, that's your name. <laughs> but the Good Shepherd, indeed, knows your name. Now, why is it important that Jesus, the Good Shepherd, knows your name? Well, we have to think real quick about sheep. What is unique about sheep? Well, one of the things that we know about sheep is they're the most helpless animal that we possibly know. They're slow, they, their teeth are not very sharp, and lastly, they're stupid. And so the shepherd needs to know each of the sheep personally, that the shepherd might protect each of the sheep personally. It's supposed to be, if anything, a uh, insult to all of us to be considered sheep, but this is who we are. We need a good shepherd who knows us, and Jesus, the good shepherd, knows us, and he knows us intimately. He knows where we need to be lifted up. He knows when we need to be encouraged. He knows when we need to have our feet tied up and brought back to the fold. He knows us. He knows us. This is the good shepherd. A good shepherd knows his sheep. But secondly, the good shepherd, the good shepherd leads his sheep. You can see this in verse three at the end of it. Jesus says, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Continues in verse four. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. Where are they following him? They're following the good shepherd to life. The good shepherd leads his people to life. I have come, Jesus says, that you might have life 
and have it abundantly. Now, where does Jesus lead his people? Or better said, how does Jesus, the good shepherd, lead his people? Well, he comforts you in your affliction. He disciplines you when you are wrong. But he is your shepherd, and he always brings you back. You know, Jesus talked about sheep a lot, and one of the, one of the metaphors that he uses is, is the, uh, Luke 15, the metaphor of the lost sheep. The shepherd loses one, and he puts the 99 away, and he goes after the one who's lost. This is leadership. And the good shepherd leads his sheep through discipline and through um, encouragement. So the good shepherd knows you, leads you, and lastly, the good shepherd dies for you. The good shepherd is not like the hired hand who abandons his post when the wolf comes. No, Jesus enters into the fray and he gives his life to save his sheep. We have to see this first for what this means. Yes, sheep are stupid and defenseless and helpless, but sheep are incredibly valuable to Jesus. See, in the older times, they didn't, they didn't measure one's worth by how much money that you had in your bank account. No, one's value, that, like wealth, was measured by how many sheep you had in the fold. Now, why is this the case? You see, sheep are very valuable. They're dumb, but they're very valuable because every piece of a sheep is, is, can be used. The wool. The wool of a sheep can use to clothe, and that can happen throughout the years. The skin of a sheep can be used to, to create leather. The meat of a sheep can be used to feed. Sheep are incredibly valuable, and this is what Jesus sees of a sheep. He sees the sheep as so valuable that he says, you know what? I'm going to lay down my life for these sheep. And indeed, the good shepherd doesn't use the sheep for his own gain. He lays down his life for theirs. And of course, Jesus, the good shepherd, laid down his life, his perfect life, by, by hanging on a cross and dying as a sacrificial atonement in our place. He allowed the wolves to devour him, that in turn he could devour the wolf in his resurrection. You see, the good shepherd lays down his life, but he also says in verse 18, I have the authority to take my life up again. And indeed, our good shepherd has taken his life up again, and he still cares for his sheep, having laid it down. Who cares for your soul? Is it thieves that objectify you and use you for their own glory? Or is it the good shepherd who knows you and leads you and lays down his life for you? How in the world, though, do we do this? Like, practically, how do we entrust our souls to the good shepherd? Maybe you're like, yeah, I don't want to entrust myself to thieves. I want to entrust myself to good the good shepherd. How do we do this? Well, there's two different ways or two different avenues that I want to encourage you to do. First, you do it privately. You entrust yourself privately to the good shepherd. You commune with him. You spend time with him through his word and through his spirit. I know many of you know that we, we, have, we have started a Bible initiative or we, we, we practice a Bible initiative called CBR. 
it's a tool that we've got these journals in the back. They're black journals, and you can grab one. They're for you to use. They're simply tools. But they're tools to allow you to connect with the good shepherd, to hear his voice. How do we hear his voice? We hear his voice through his word. And that tool is to help you to hear his voice and to meditate on it and to pray it. And you do it privately. The good shepherd leads through his voice and his word. And we are to do it privately and trusting ourselves. And look, there's no like brownie points if you do it. There's just abundant life promised to you because this is where the good shepherd leads. So we entrust ourselves privately to the good shepherd. But we also do it publicly. We publicly entrust ourselves to the good shepherd through his church. And again, we're gonna ask questions, three more questions for you to discern whether your pastor, who is an under-shepherd of the king, of the good shepherd, is indeed an under-shepherd of the great shepherd. So three very practical questions for you to discern. Is this a place that, that is an under-shepherd of the good shepherd, that the good shepherd is leading? First, the pastors are available. Are the pastors available? Can you, at the drop of a hat, open your phone, click on the pastor's number and say, I am in need. Will you help me? Because the pastors are present with their people. They're shepherds. They're to be with you in the midst of your trials and your tribulations. When the wolf comes, and it will, do you have a shepherd close by? They are available. Thieves Maybe they will, maybe they won't. But the good shepherds, they are. So are they available? Second question, are they relational? Are they relational? Yes, I think most pastors are relational, but I mean more than that. Do they know your name? Is it possible for the pastors of that church to know your name? If the pastor cannot know your name, I'm not saying it's a bad church or those pastors are bad. I'm just saying this is the way that we're supposed to be shepherded, that we know the name. It is important for me to know your name, to know the difficulties and the trials and the tribulations that you're encountering. There's a lot of big churches out there, and I don't want to like smash on those big churches all together. I really don't. That's not my intention because a lot of them do as good of a job as they can with as many people as they have coming in. They do as good of a job as they can knowing their people, but the pastors don't always know their people in those churches. Does the pastor know your name? You see, at our church, our vision 10 years from now is not to be this monster church. We wanna be a church where you can always find the pastor available and the pastor has the ability to know your name. And we want to, if, if we start getting bigger, we're going to plant other churches. That's why we have the Timothy program. Guys like Blake and guys like Jordan, who's not here right now, who are training so that we can plant churches that can be churches where good shepherds are there, where they know their people, that they're with their people, they're available to their people. So good questions to ask whether or not you're being led by good shepherds, under shepherds. Are they relational? Are they available? Lastly, are they humble? Are they humble? 
This, is a, this can be a difficult thing because a lot of, of, of um, pastors lately have kind of picked up on like, oh, if I'm, if I'm a little vulnerable in the pulpit, they can see that I'm humble. And you know, that's a good thing. I'd rather that be the case than not. But um, if you were to write them a letter, are they are, are, uh, criticizing the church or, or, or offering just a critique? Not, not nasty. Please don't write me nasty critiques. I don't want nasty critiques. But I'm open to it. But are they willing to engage with you on the problems that you see in the church? If, if they are, they're humble. And if they're willing to make changes and to do that, they're humble. But if you can't even get to a pastor, they're not humble. Look, I've, I've run into pastors who, <laughs> um, I introduce myself to them. I'm a pastor, good to meet you. I'd love to, I'd love to get some coffee with you. And I remember one time this pastor looked at me and he goes, well, I want you to read my book before we meet. And then when you read the book, contact my secretary and then, then we'll meet from there. And I was like, yes, this guy is not humble. Like, read your book first before we meet. Okay, I'm not a humble guy. I cannot entrust myself to this person. You will run into these thieves. You really will. So, as you are discerning the public way that you put yourself under a good shepherd, ask those questions. Are they, are they available? Are they relational? Are they humble? You need to be asking these questions about me. You need to be asking these questions about other churches that you might go to and visit because it is so vitally important that you understand who cares for your soul. My friends, you have one soul. You have one life. And you should not give that life to everything that shines and glitters and is the greatest thing ever. Some of those things are thieves. Ask those questions, important questions of me, of our church, of other churches. Because if you find a church where the good shepherd reigns over his people, you will have life. And you will have life to the fullest. Jesus says in John 14, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. I want that to be the case with Central Hope, a place where you experience life, where the good shepherd reigns over us, and he knows us, he leads us, and we remember that he's died for us. May God make that a reality in our church. And if he has for you already, praise be to him. Let me pray. Our gracious Lord, we come, and we, we come with gratitude in our hearts that you are indeed our good shepherd, that you know us, that we are not some, some unknown, that you know all that it is about us, our weaknesses, our sin, and our struggles, our sin, our failures, you know it all. And even knowing it all, you don't abandon us. No, you lead us nevertheless. And you lead us to remember that you have died for us, even with all that we are in front of you. Oh, what a beautiful thing. And so we ask, Good Shepherd, that you would indeed be the Good Shepherd here, that, that I would mimic, as the pastor of this church, I would mimic your leading, your knowing, your relational realities in this church. And these people, my friends in here as well, would do the same, that we would be Good Shepherds of our neighbors. Lord, I ask you to do this by the power of your Spirit and in the name of Jesus, amen.